Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, it's Dustin from the HP Podcast. And this is Ben. We're just coming here to tell you about our show, well, the HP Podcast. The HP Podcast is a weekly video game podcast from HandsomeFandom.com that's also part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. And... Ben, it's a little hard to describe our show because it's a little bit of everything. We get into a lot of shenanigans. We also talk about some news. We have some pretty serious topics sometimes, but sometimes uh, our friend Brandon takes a shirt off and uh, just does the show that way. So you should definitely check it out. I think you got stuck to the seat last time. It's possible. So that was that was a time. Yeah. So anyway, check out our show. We would love that. The HP podcast. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 138 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is a man who is louder than a video game commercial in the 90s, Robert Workman. Oh, I take offense to that. I'm actually pretty well volumed, thank you very much. <laughs> it's not like I sit here, welcome to the Art Podcast. I'm, I'm not like, well, it's after my, my like, editing anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, I see, you just let me turn up his volume to 80. Yeah, they'll really listen now. <laughs> good. But uh, we have a great show here. Uh, first off, I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and is surviving Black Friday by shopping at home online that's the best way to do it honestly but uh we thought we'd uh, talk about video game marketing campaigns this week the good the bad the ugly and there were some ugly ones and we have a a great expert to talk about this don't we yeah so with with us is michael futter so how's it going there mike it's going great thank you guys so much for having me yeah absolutely i'm excited to be here great to have you absolutely i mean you've contributed to a number of sites you've written for GameDaily.biz. you've worked with game informer for the longest time and you actually had a panel earlier this year talking about video game marketing so you know the insides and outs of you know what sucks and what doesn't when it comes to advertising a game <laughs> Pretty much. So, you know. I, I mean i can i can certainly speak to it uh yeah absolutely it's you know that that panel was a was a lot of fun um, and we'll, you know, we'll, when we get to that part of the show, I'll talk about kind of where that came from and, and where it's going. Cause I think we're going to try to do it again. Cause it went so well. Awesome. That's good to hear. And, uh, like I said, we're also going to get your gaming input too. Cause we got a lot of stories here, David. Uh, I think we're going to start with this interesting one that's come up. Um, we're still waiting for verification from certain parties on it, but apparently, um, this has to do with the Sega Dreamcast died off. Sega was looking to fight, figure out an alternate plan to suit their fans, and it somehow involved the Xbox. Yeah, so th- this is actually like a story I remember hearing like some time ago because this was something that was kind of like in you know in the mullings I remember like in some you know in some gaming circles basically online, 
And um, you know, the basically the whole story is that uh, when when the Sega Dreamcast failed, basically Sega approached Bill Gates, uh, you know, who who was like headlining with um, with, with like the with the uh, with the Xbox coming out, uh, you know, for for like Microsoft's like debut basically in the gaming industry uh, to see if they can get the Xbox to basically support Dreamcast games. Now they were looking to um, to basically have the hardware kind of change in the way I believe to make Dreamcast disc work. Bill Gates was not, you know, was not on board for that. Like he shot that down, and essentially, uh, I think like they, you know, Sega kind of came uh, came to like the next best solution. Basically, was uh, to basically have like some of their games, or at least like the uh, like the sequels to like some of their games that were like hits on on the Dreamcast, uh, come out for the Xbox instead. Um, right. But uh, yeah, like you know, it's not entirely clear whether or not this actually happened. But I would certainly believe that that it did happen. At least like the talks, anyway. Yeah, I mean, according to what it says here, it was a matter of uh, the president at the time, Isaiah Okawa, uh, had talked to Gates several times about possibly making the Dreamcast compatible with the Xbox. And it would have been a decent opening, but who knows? I mean, like Bill Gates probably considered the idea of modifying the hardware, but it probably would have been difficult. Like, how do you introduce those features in hardware that's already on the market? Yeah. So it it would have been a matter of because at the time you couldn't easily update hardware. This came at a time when people were just getting accustomed to online play and online features. We don't have it like we have it now where an update can make a system backward compatible or whatnot. So remember that when um, the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox launched, there were no online services. Uh, In fact, the Xbox Live beta that ran uh, on the original Xbox didn't happen until into the console's relatively short life cycle. It was only 2001 to 2005. Um, so, you know, by today's standards, the original Xbox only lasted half a console. Yeah, and I, if I recall correctly, play, PlayStation 2 games, they relied on uh, GameSpy, right? And that was the way that you could get online with that system, and even then... Yeah, I mean, some of some of them definitely did. It was kind of a, a title-by-title thing, and if you remember, like, so EverQuest Online Adventures, I think, was the game that you that they had people buy the modem mm-hmm. for. And then Final Fantasy XI came with the hard drive. So, you know, PlayStation 2 kind of built out its capabilities piece by piece whereas everything was already um already on board for the original xbox there was an ethernet port in the back of the xbox even though it had almost no purpose um although i did use the GameSpy tunneler service like there was a, a like a jury-rigged um way that you could try to play halo online and it just i i yeah i remember that being like a thing um like where people were just kind of like modding like their xboxes basically in order to kind of make it work online like with, you, with uh, let's you didn't halo. even need to mod it like it was you just had to run it through a computer so you had to run software on your pc mm. kind of read there was a whole process to get done but it wasn't actually modding like you didn't have to open your open your console or anything like that i was not at a, a place in my life where i felt comfortable yeah that with, that's like, why i kind of like thought it was like modding but like i guess it's more like finagling with what was already there i guess yeah <laughs> yeah it's exactly what it was you know you just really you know you had to play with it a lot in order to make it work and you know the connections were never really stable and it wasn't great it really yeah. really, really wasn't i think great. you were better off with the land parties when it came to halo yeah, I mean, the Xbox, when it kind of came on the scene, it was, you know, essentially what we'd consider half a generation. It was Microsoft's first foray. I think they were they were cognizant of the fact that they were not going to, you know, they weren't going to be the leader right off the bat. They were really just trying to plant their flag. And then, of course, we know what happened with the Xbox. I mean, with what you were saying, like with uh, with like the original Xbox, I guess I do remember it having that Ethernet port there in in the back. And um, I, I remember like the uh, like, you know, some, some of the architects for, for that console as well were like the same people who also worked on the Dreamcast. So 
Um, I, I, I believe that's like maybe like a bit of like a holdover possibly as far as like design the Dreamcast over to to design like the Xbox as well. And obviously like with, with you know, with like Microsoft like thinking of like doing online gaming at some point in the future, um, I guess they just didn't quite know how to go about it, at least in that generation. But but then, you know, as you said, with the Xbox 360, when when that came around, that's that's when they kind of got like their shit together, really, like in, uh, in terms of like the infrastructure with that. Yeah. And, and just remember, like, while Dreamcast games, while this never ended up coming to be and, you know, I, I would believe that talks happen. Talks happen all the time in the in the industry. And, and a lot of times they don't go anywhere. And sometimes they do. Right. Sometimes you end up with suddenly at the in the late stages of a generation cross platform play. Uh, who would have thought? Um, but, you know, conversations happen all the time. So, yeah, it, was this was this a conversation that, that got batted around? I, I can see that possibly happening. Was it a serious conversation? I don't know. That's probably less likely. But what's interesting is if you look at it, Fantasy Star Online did make it to the original. Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. Although, um, what was it? It was, it was kind of like the remaster of it or something, something along like those that. lines. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because I, I think they were looking to possibly get Fantasy Star Online two over the over to the Dreamcast, and that just didn't, didn't end up. You know, it, it, it didn't end up happening. Like at least over in the out, states. Right. Um, so it, that, you know that was only re- uh, released uh, over, um, over in Japan, but. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, online and like, you know, or, or, you know at least, um, you know, as, at least as, as far as like the talks, like, you know, with, uh, you know, b- between Sega and, um, and Microsoft in, re- in regards to, uh, in regards to like modding like the Xbox, I, I imagine like if those talks did happen, uh, they were denied because of the fact that, uh, that Microsoft probably already had like the infrastructure in mind as far as like how the, uh, how the consoles were, were going to be built. So they, you know, they didn't want to just like rebuild it all, all, you know, all entirely just so as to make like this deal happen to appease Sega because they, they had no reason to appease Sega at that time. So, yeah, I think what the matter is, I mean, it's a matter of looking at what might have been a partnership between Sega and Xbox would have been very interesting. Who knows, Microsoft might have taken off a lot sooner with its online network. It might have had a better chance in terms of scoring better you know, sports games than it ended up getting, because I swear, I miss Lynx. That's a good golf game on the, on the mm, Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there something that could have been, but since it didn't happen, you know, Okawa actually had to give uh, $700 million in stock to keep Sega out of bankruptcy. So That's it right. also could have helped them beneficially in terms of business. Now, again, we don't have any historians to really back all these details up, but it does sound like an interesting story. And it kind of makes me think maybe if The Rock were involved in these negotiations like it was <laughs> in the Xbox press conference, we'd be telling a different story. But, you know, it's just one of those one of those little interesting footnotes, like what might have been like if Sony and Nintendo worked out with the PlayStation. Sure. You know, it's all those things with what might have been. But alas, we have what we have. And, you know, Sega's still around. They're still making great games. You know, we actually have more Sega classics in the Nintendo than Nintendo classics. You believe that? <laughs> it's true. Sega Genesis Classics, they're going to have a stack more now. It's That's a good point, actually. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, where, like, the SNK numbers kind of fall in, in there as well with all the Neo Geo games and whatnot on there. So, oh, yeah. they have a ton. They actually yeah. have a ton. So, if we were to add that up, we'd be here all night. So, for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but uh, there you go, folks. Just something that might have been. But let's talk about what's going to be. Uh, with all these systems, these plug and play systems making around, the NES Classic, uh, next month, the PlayStation Classic making the rounds, uh, there's another one here. Uh, it is the PC Classic. It's from a company called Unit E. 
And uh, it says it's going to be befitting of the 90s era of PC gaming with joystick support, a pair of USB ports, and uh, support for games on SD cards. Yeah. And the video apparently shows off a number of these games, like the original Doom, Commander Keen 4, because I know you're a Commander Keen fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, Jane of the Jungle. Uh, number. I mean, there are a number of titles that are currently unlicensed. I think that's the thing. I mean, people are probably going to go into this, oh, is Quake on it? Oh, is Duke Nukem on it? You know, and they won't be able to get everything, but... There's some potential here for people who want to live the old school days without having to, you know, set up their old rig and their old BBS or whatever and and see if it takes off for them. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this, uh, Mike. I mean, I know that you like the classic games like I do, but what do you think about the potential of a, of a classic PC system like this? I don't know. I I feel like that's going to that's going to be a harder sell for for people um you know, there are means to play those games still. You know, if you think about one of the big things that 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 troubles console the console market, it's preservation. Um, and you've had the stories about you know massive massive lawsuits or massive settlements. Mm, the ROM sites with ROM, yeah. right? And 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 I would argue that while they did fill a preservation role, those were for profit private endeavors to. Um, they were selling ads on their site. You know, when you compare that against something like the Strong Museum, which is engaged in actual preservation of, you know, historical artifacts in the industry as well as software, you know, you look at ROM sites and you're like, okay, why are you really doing this? Oh, preservation, to be clear though, preservation doesn't mean you get that it's usable by people. Preservation means that it's there, it's it's preserved for historical study, not that necessarily you can play that on at home on a win. Right. Right. All of that said, if most I, I feel like a lot of people who are PC gamers could go through the steps to play those games that are likely going to be on this device without yeah. having to go out and buy a device. I don't see it having the market the market sizzle like an NES class. Yeah. I mean like aside from like original Doom, I you know I, I just don't see like the marketability in, in just like the in like the games alone. Uh except for like the hardcore gamers honestly and like I just don't see it having the market that the NES classic or the SNES classic. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come right out and say it. I don't think the PlayStation Classic is going to find the success that Nintendo's retro systems, those those set top box systems uh are going yeah to. you have like the um the hardcore gaming crowd honestly like who are also not all that like excited for it either just because of, of like the game lineup and the way that sony kind of like marketed like their uh you know like the lineup of games also like you know as far as like showing off with the first five and then releasing the you know 15 you know the, the other 15 like several months later so it, it's, it's just kind of like weird like how, how how they went about it and i i think i agree with you in that regard yeah i think it's just a matter of I mean, what kind of experience are people going to get out of this? Would they get better experience out of a plug-and-play box like this? Or would they get a better experience building, like, a classic PC? You know, there's that feeling there. It's like when you got the PlayStation Classic coming out, that's going to be a good representation of that era for some people. But there are going to be people like, well, what about Wipeout? What about Jet Moto? What about these, you know, licensed games that there's no way in hell they could put on that system? So, I mean, it really depends who you're reaching out to. I mean, if the system doesn't be a hard sell for everybody, at the very least, it'll motivate them to play games a different way and kind of reintroduce that era. So even if the system isn't the bestseller, as it's expected to be, it's still going to stir up enough nostalgia to bring interest in that platform back in some way. And on a related note, actually, Nintendo did say that, um, or at least I like, confirm anyway, basically, that the N64 Classic isn't going to be a thing this year, or at least you know, at least for like the holiday season. So that came out of uh, 
Tatillo's interview with Reggie on Katana. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, obviously that's something that Nintendo is, like, aware of as far as, like, the interest for one, for for, for an N64 classic. Uh, But even them, like, you know, with, like, the, you know, with, like, the amazing games that they have on that system are being very cautious as far as, like, how they're going to, you know, going to release a thing like that if they are going to, you know, going to release it at all. Um, So that's why, like, with, like, the PC classic... I mean, like, it's certainly kind of like a mixed bag. It all kind of depends on what games that they get on there. But at the same time, like, there aren't any, like, real, like, PC classics, aside from Doom, really, um, that really kind of scream to, like, your average consumer that, like, oh, I have to pick this up. Um, especially when Doom is so so available, like, really, like, on, on so many other platforms at this moment. I, I think what happens is when you start moving into the area where, where you've got more people saying, either A, I know I can play that. Or B, I am sure that I could play that if I wanted to. The the market size or the the interest in that device starts to shrink. And I think the problem, and this is kind of where, where I think Sony's gonna run into a problem with the, the PlayStation Classic. Will it sell? Yes. Will it sell well? I'm sure it will it will meet their expectations. Will it sell as well as the Nintendo or the Super Nintendo Classic? No, I don't believe it will. But I think the reason for that is, you know, you've got the Vita and even your PS3 still, if you've still got one of those plugged in or your PlayStation TV, if you happen to if you happen to have one of those. And I do. I picked it up like when it was when it dropped to thirty dollars. I think I got mine for ten. Right. I mean, yeah, when they when they were really when the writing was on the wall that that they were phasing that out and it wasn't going to be a thing anymore. And, you know, and all the retailers started just like marking them down to ridiculous prices. It's like, yeah, and, and and here's the thing. Those are PlayStation 1 machines. So I'm not suggesting that everybody uh, has one of those. But more people, again, it's not whether or not somebody has the ability to play it right now. If they have the belief that they have other means already in, in their hands to play those games, then the, the interest in that or picking it up right away goes down. And I feel like even though nintendo remarketed most of its games over and over and over again you know people wanted that nes classic because there were a bunch of games that hadn't been yeah well as far as the snes classics classic you say hey we're going to release star fox 2 finally right yeah and then jimmy i'm there jimmy um but i mean i I think like the real like um the real appeal for for those like you know for for like the NES Classic and, and, and the SNES Classic, honestly, is, is is for the fact that there were like Nintendo games on there, and like Nintendo just has that like appeal that like not any other g- gaming properties like you know just ha- you know just have really uh, as far as like yeah, you know, you, 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 that brand. yeah just, just you know you know with like your Mario's your your Zelda's your you know your your, um, your Metroids like all that stuff. So I mean it, it's um it's just like a different type of like appeal that no one else can really match, um, just like how, how like Nintendo does. So because Nintendo did did come out with the NES Classic and it did become like a runaway hit. Um, now everyone else wants to kind of like jump on that train, and like I, I'm all for it. Really, it, it just needs to be done like the right way, and you know, be handled in like the smart way. Really, as far as like how they're going to go about um, just building all that, you know, the lineup of games on there. And what w- what is like really appealing, honestly, with with this PC Classic is like the fact that they that it does use SD cards, and the fact that they, that they are going to have like games that are on those SD cards. So this is like the type of thing that I was kind of hoping that that uh, that like Nintendo would do with like the NES Classic and the SNES Classic, uh, as far as like having uh, having like disposable carts, really, or like SD cards, I guess, like in this case, where you could just kind of add in games in, in, in like a legal sense, anyway. So you could have like SNES Classic Bundle One, Bundle Two, Bundle Three, and so on. Right. So here's here's the thing. They're, so they're on SD cards. Well, the the questions that I have, obviously, and maybe this is and maybe this is out there because they didn't dive too deep into the story. 
does it take any SD card? Does it have to be a proprietary? I mean, is it an actual SD card or is it there is some so kind of proprietary? So I think card? that's still up. Is there some kind of copy protection on it? Is there, you know, is this just going to be a gateway to pirate? Is this just going to be the Ouya all over oh, again? Yeah. Why would you bring that up? <laughs> oh. People are like, oh yeah, the Ouya, I can play tons of ROMs. I'm like, wait, what? You're going to market it like that? What? I mean, I, I don't think they're going to market it like that, but I could certainly see that being a case here. Um, they, they haven't explicitly said whether or not, like, you can use any SD card on here. Uh, just that, that you know, that it will support SD cards or, like, games will be on SD cards. Uh, I don't know if they'll have some sort of lockout feature on there, like, where it'll only take proprietary SD card style type of cartridges or whatever. I would be shocked if that were... Th- I mean, look, that's... I. I... We're talking. Let's talk about the NES Classic and the SNES Classic. Those things were flashed in in how many days to take mm-hmm. ROMs, and it's not going to take much for somebody to be like, "All right, I'm going to dump the firmware. I'm going to crack the firmware. We good, fam." Like, it's 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 a buffet. Yeah, now. I mean that's that's why like I, I'm making the argument more that it will just kind of accept any SD card, but it'll be done in a way like where um, this like company that's that's that's, uh, that's like in charge of it. Um, what's the name of the company again? Uh, Unit E. Unity. Yeah, um, that Unity like doesn't have um, like a sort of like responsibility, I guess, as far as like what people put on the SD cards. Just that that they'll have like games on SD cards. It's just that if people want to like say load up like a bunch of ROMs on like an SD card and plug it into it, that's on them. So um, I, I could see that being like the case in in, in this regard. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm very curious to see like how how the PC Classic just like turns out, especially if they're gonna have like Commander Keen games on there. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on it for that alone. Uh, but otherwise, like you know, I could pretty much like add in like Commander Keen, possibly. Um, you know, it's kind of like how you said there, Mike. You know, that I could probably do that kind of thing. You know, um, you know, as, as far as like that that you know, as far as that's concerned. So we'll kind of like wait and see on what the PC Classic kind of brings. Uh, yeah. You know, as far as it being like a unique thing anyway, compared to the other. But- uh, other boxes so i mean there is one other thing to consider is like what kind of control type you'll be able to use you'll be able to use like joysticks or whatever but i mean when you have a plug and play system that doesn't have the greatest control style you could have a lot of questionability about its long-term effectiveness and david we talked about this last week the neo geo mini right Mm -hmm. and it's dinky little joystick and its buttons and whatever and you're like well what would happen if they rebuilt that into something more comfortable and well a guy by the name of ben heck managed to do that that is our next story uh ben heck has returned after uh, he shut down his ben heck show he's now back on youtube again and one of his first things he did he has rebuilt the neo geo mini into a, a much more uh convenient handheld build which I, I think is actually looks pretty cool and snk should give him a call um it's he just basically goes over the whole thing through the video he, he diagrams how to rebuild it into like sort of a a game boy style unit with a actual proper controller instead of the, the little dinky joystick the clicky stick as you call it i guess mm-hmm. the clicky stick <laughs> they clicky yeah stick. he got it in there so <laughs> yeah he did a good job i mean he he's messed around with custom systems before but this actually looks like something i want compared to like that Neo Geo Mini. This looks like something that's approachable with gameplay. The buttons are nice and big. And, you know, and I'm like, seriously, SNK, give this guy a call. Because this is a pretty well-built machine. He's always done good with these these technical doodads, though. I mean, I, Yeah, he's I, fascinating. He is. He, I mean, the fact that he would do with something like the Neo Geo Mini, you know, something that just came out. I mean, that, that's really cool. I mean, the whole video, we actually linked the video here in, in our, uh, our, our podcast notes. So you can take a look for yourself. But it, it's just really well done in terms of how he was not only able to get it put together, but it operates smoothly. 
Yeah, it's basically like a Neo Geo boy, more or less. So, Seriously. Um, but yeah, it, it's really cool, like, you know, just so far, like, the layout of it, uh, you know, with, with the way that the ABCD buttons are, like, it's very much like uh, like how the arcade cabinet is in that regard, uh, just kind of like in that semicircle, basically kind of pattern. Um, and then there's also the the kind of clicky stick kind of like um, kind of like knob basically that that, that it has there on the left side, and uh, it's basically just like the same screen and the same like you know games are on there and everything. It's just done in a much better package basically, and I really loved like the redesign of this, um, you know, as, as far as like you know how he did it and everything. So um, yeah, if if he could do you know if if like um, if SNK can like get a hold of um, of like Ben Heck here in order to kind of do like yeah. a redesign of this, I I would be totally on board with it, and I would actually buy this. Too. Like I, I know yeah. it's just in, in the Neo Geo Mini after like after I actually haven't played it like at, at like a convention. Uh, but this I will buy in a heartbeat without even having touched it. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean if if he could work out something like his, he's made a lot of these systems in the past. Like what was it? He made a compact. Uh, I think Dreamcast. It was. It was yes. something a while back. He he's yeah. done a number of these, and I'm like, dude, put these in the markets, but you mm-hmm. can't. You know, it's because I'll tell you, I mean, I would rather be playing something like small and compact, like the way this system is designed, than that Neo Geo Mini arcade cabinet, especially the Christmas one, because that thing's ugly as sin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do like a red Neo Geo like console like that, you may as well make a red like this, like where it looks like the MVS. Yeah, you know? exactly. So. Where it looks like something where you can actually be comfortable playing it instead of like, why is there a reindeer in my arcade cabinet? But <laughs> right, let's, right. Let's not get into that. That's that's just ridiculous here. But I'll tell you, if this was on the market, it would be one heck of a collector's item. Sort of like the next item in our news story here. Um, apparently, uh, Amazon Japan has listed a very complete and very limited Amiibo collection. Uh, this will be available with all 63 characters starting November 26th, uh, Cyber Monday, this coming Monday. And it will feature all the characters, including some of the new ones like Piranha Plant and King K. Rule. Uh, it will have a special collector's edition box and I believe an art print as well. But here's the catch. They're only making 50 of these reportedly, which means, <laughs> you know, resellers are going to be after this thing like a son of a bitch because, you know, it's going to be pretty much it's going to be probably worse than, you know, the Smash Brothers controller and system combined. You know, I mean, it's going to be a hard collector's item. I mean, it's a neat idea, but this almost feels like something that Nintendo should do at their Nintendo store for the diehards. Like, why, why would why would you limit it to 50? seriously you might i mean i guess because of like the amount of like amiibo that's like part of it so i guess that's the reason why um but yeah i mean nintendo likes to do this like where they just kind of like come out with something that's like a limited supply they like to do this unless it's like something like where you know obviously they could make you know make more of it and you know and all that but i mean this is obviously just kind of like a like a special like just kind of package deal basically that includes all these characters like all the amiibos anyway and um I, i you know i've never been one to like collect amiibos myself but you know, it's pretty neat, like the fact that you know that they're doing this in like anticipation of the um, of, of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate's uh, release. So yeah. that's wild. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm afraid. I, I know what Black Friday's like here, right? And I know that that Black Friday isn't a thing everywhere. Who's gonna get trampled for one of these? <laughs> like- uh, dude, I'll tell you, Amazon customer service. That's who's gonna get trampled for one of these. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna hit the reseller market, and I'll bet you it clears a grand easy. Oh yeah. That. I mean, it's, it's going to be one of those. US, how much are they? Well, uh, they were reportedly around two hundred dollars. They could be more. They didn't finalize a price yet. The listing doesn't have it yet. That's not bad. That's yeah. not like, bad that, at all. That's so. That's really reasonable for sixty-three amiibo. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah I, mean, I mean, seriously, I'm like I said, this list. I I have most of these. Not obviously not the new ones. 
There's still some. I actually, I actually made a big checklist. This is a nerd. <laughs> I make a big checklist. You're one of those people, I'm aren't you, Mike? Uh, <laughs> I am totally one of those people. Um, so I know which ones I have to pick up when they do the re-releases. But I've got, I've got a chunk of them. So this would not be a great deal for me unless they were like in some cult like display box. But I mean, it comes with like an art print, apparently. That's, yeah, that's, that's like, I missed, I missed the boat. I want this. Like, do it. This price is great. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, man. I mean, people are going to be going nuts on Monday morning trying to get a hold of this. But, uh, I mean, at the very least, Mike, you'll be able to get, you know, the, the Amiibos that you are missing. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Did they announce a Belmont Amiibo? Because I really they, want one of those. I mean, the way they have always been with Smash is that any character is going to get an Amiibo. So we're going to see a Ken Amiibo. We're going to see both. Uh, we're going to see a Simon Amiibo. We're going to see, was it Simon and Trevor? Are the two Trevor's the Echo? Yeah, Trevor's the Echo, yeah. So we'll see a Simon and we'll see a Trevor. Um you know, uh, who are some of the other echoes that they announced? We'll see. We'll see. Um, was it Daisy? I think Daisy is. Yep. So there's page. gonna be. Yeah. I mean, there's already a Daisy amiibo from the from the Mario series, but the Smash series will get one. Mm-hmm. So they've. Um, that was something that they said when the first DLC was announced uh, way back with Smash Wii U and Smash 3DS was that don't worry, we are going to make amiibo for every Smash character that's now. So we're gonna get a Snake mm-hmm. amiibo. We know that. Mm-hmm. Dark Samus also. And we're going to get a Dark Samus amiibo. So, um, you know, unless they somehow change, change, you know, their policy on that. But I don't think they are going to, considering they've already announced. I mean, none of the characters that we're getting right away have echoes. But I have a funny feeling that we're going to start seeing those roll out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. With Nintendo making money the way they are in Amiibos right now, this is just the beginning. And wait, I mean, just wait until 2019. They announce a Waluigi Amiibo. People are going to shit. <laughs> like, even if he's not in Smash, they're going to. I mean, we, there is a Waluigi Amiibo. I think so, yeah. I have it. Oh, okay. Well, oh, okay. Yeah, then, uh... he's, in the, he's in the Mario series. Well, then, now you have to put him in Smash. The funny thing <laughs> is, like, the Mario series is actually taller. They're bigger than the Smash series. So if you put. Um, if you put a, a character, if you put like Mario from the, I mean, I could go. Do, um, they're on the other side. Oh, what if, what if Nintendo trolls all of us and has it so that the only way that you can play as Waluigi in Smash is if you have the the amiibo, <laughs> and you plug in the amiibo oh, and then he appears. Dude. Why would you? Because now, now this is going to be Mike when it starts up. All right, come on, scan, scan. Yeah. Damn it, scan. come on, baby, work, work for me. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I I have no shame about my. Larger than I ever intended Amiibo collection. Welcome! So that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Are You Playing? And we get some of the games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Mike, with you being a special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Ah, okay. So, uh, I started playing Fallout 76. I can can safely Mm. say that I feel a little bit better about it than a number of other people do. I I think I knew what I was was getting into uh, with it, so... There wasn't that culture shock of this isn't really Fallout. I'm like, I know it's not like Fallout. (laughs) Everybody wants. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, now that the work week is over and once I get the cooking done and and Thanksgiving is behind us, I 100% will be diving into the second Spider-Man DLC. That is Mm, on my very near the tippy top, if not at the tippy top of my game of the year list. And, um, just absolutely delighted with that game. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan to begin with. Mm, uh, but the swinging yeah. is it's just it feels really good. It feels um, great, yeah. And then you know we've been family playing the four of us. We've been playing the Return of the Oberdin, um, which is by Lucas Pope, who uh, created Papers Please. So are you guys familiar with Return of the Oberdin? 
I actually thought it was a board game when you told me about it the other day. Yeah. So I should <laughs> shut up. I right. want to see it now. I mean, I, I've heard you. I've looked into it after you did that. So play this game. Uh, that is, it's it's definitely going to be on my end of the year accolades list. So if you play, if you played Papers Please, you know that it had a very uh, retro art style. Um, Return of the Oberdin does as well. In fact, you can actually choose between a number of different platforms like the Apple IIe or the Commodore 64. So you can actually, um, you know, change the way the monitor looks. And the idea of the game is you are an insurance adjuster uh, back in, I think it's the 1700s. This ship has kind of drifted back into into range of, of land. And your job is to go and assess what the hell happened on it. And there were, it was a crew of 60 people and every single one of them is gone. And you have to figure out what happened to them. So the way you do that is you board the ship and you find, you have this magic pocket watch because there has to be some kind of magic and mystery. right? Um, And you find a corpse and you kind of zoom in on the corpse and then it kind of takes you back to the moment that that person died. So... So it's, it's kind of it, like, um, I don't know if you read like the comic Chew at all. I have not. No? Okay. Because um, it kind of reminds me of Chew, because basically Chew, uh, kind of long story short, you're like a detective who can basically um, eat things in order to see like where that thing kind of came from. So if he chewed on someone's like ear, for example, like he can kind of like tell like how that person died, for you know, for, for example, or if he like ate like an apple, he knows where the apple came from. But he, he uses for like detective purposes. Why would I chew on a dead guy's ear? Why not? Exactly. <laughs> but it's like his power. So that's why it like, reminded me of that, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, Oberdin. So what's really cool is so you have to figure out who they are, how they died. And sometimes it's not quite so obvious. And you have to identify how, like, who killed them if someone killed them. So if somebody fell overboard, obviously there's no perpetrator. But if somebody was shot, you not only need to know in order to lock that person in who they are and that they were shot, but who it is that sh- who who was that pulled the trigger. And it won't lock in correct answers until you have three correct answers. So you can't just like brute force it. Hmm. And that reminds me of like Clue a bit. Yeah, it's a little bit like it, it is a little bit like Clue, but I will tell you it's extremely violent, but it's done in a graphic style that like it's not going to make anybody super queasy. Um, you know, it looks like an old adventure game on on an Apple or a TI-99 or mm. you know something like Spot that. It's my jam right there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if you played any of those Prodigy games. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. older, you know. Oh, you guys are probably about my I'm 40. I'm not, so, I'm not seeing my age on the air. So, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of being an old man. Uh, I'm 22. There, I'm good. I'm there, good. You go. there you go. <laughs> I would have guessed that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. How about you, the Robert? Um, I've been busy with a, a bunch of other different games, but I'm definitely going to check that one out now. And I know it's not a board game. Because seriously, I mean, like half of Futter's feet, I'm like, oh, he's playing a new board game. I need to check this out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so how am I supposed to know? But um, no. I will give you a list. We're going to unplug next weekend, man. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be so much bored. T- oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, you, you won't be bored. Ooh, anyway. Oh, <laughs> <hell hey-o. laughs> Look at that. I'm I'm so golden. Anyway, <laughs> um, my big one this week has been Battlefield Five, and there has been some mixed opinions about this because the game is quote unquote missing content. Tides of War hasn't been introduced yet. Um, the Firestorm Battle Royale mode is not coming till March. People are concerned about it being as a games as a service model, but I'm here to tell you it's actually pretty good. 
Um, the war stories that are included here are, are good. I think they're well told. I mean, there's there's a question with difficulty balance because they're kind of stealth-based with some of the missions in the open world, and it could be a little difficult getting through them if you're not experienced. I mean, ask David. I got frustrated with Hitman 2 last week because I suck oh, at yeah. it. <laughs> but, I mean, beautiful visuals, um, you know, great gameplay, especially in vehicles. Oh, I got coast in a tank all day and just blast stuff. I, I love it. So uh, how how does this compare to Black Ops 4 then? Black Ops 4 didn't have a single player, so I'm thankful for the war stories. I mean, there are only a few of them, and there's only one more coming in December. So it's still kind of short in that content. You could tell DICE focused a lot on multiplayer, but it is nice to have the war stories because those were introduced with Battlefield 1 a couple of years ago, and those were well done too. So, I mean, I think they're pretty cool. At one point, you're you're battling the, these enemies and while, you're, while you're singing along to It's a Long Way to Tipperary. I'm not kidding. You actually sing along to it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's really good to have that component because I know a lot of people miss the single player from Black Ops. They really do. And, you know, the multiplayer, obviously, they go all out. You have, like, you know, Final Stand, Grand Operations. Uh, you know, there's more modes coming, obviously, but you have, like, the stuff like Conquest is there, Team Deathmatch, Domination. Uh, I suck at multiplayer because there are some people out there who live and breathe Battlefield multiplayer. And, oh, my God, watching these people conquer in YouTube videos is it's like, why can't I be this good? Seriously. But I mean, the multiplayer works really well. So, I mean, there is enough here to recommend the game. I actually just finished writing my review for comic book and I do recommend it. But I also say, you know, like if you're new at Battlefield, don't jump into multiplayer right away. Get accustomed with the war stories, get accustomed with the controls that way. And then once you think you're up to it, then jump in, but prepare to die a lot. Because it's definitely one of those those experiences that you have to, quote unquote, get good at in order to really, you know, make an impact. But it is impressive in terms of the scope that they put together. And, you know, like Battlefront 2, maybe they'll catch up. And once the whole content picture comes around, we'll start to see the real value of the game. Since now EA is not trying to cheapen this in any way with, you know, <clears throat> loot boxes or anything like that. So, so <laughs> right, I mean, right. it is impressive from what I've seen. I do recommend it and be a little patient. The good stuff's coming on top of what's already there. So uh, I've been playing that, but I've also been playing a lot of Switch stuff. Uh, Misplosion Man made its debut from Twisted Pixel. That was originally on Xbox 360 and Xbox One. Um, it's just as tough as it's always been with its platforming segments, but it's also pretty groovy. You know, the, the graphics are colorful. The music is a lot of fun. The gameplay really connects in terms of getting through these stages quickly. Um, I think it's worth recommendation. It also has an online co-op mode. I haven't tried that yet. I'm trying to figure out how that works with it without everybody blowing up all over the place. But, uh, <laughs> right, you know, right. I, I do like it. Um, another game I recommend is Horizon Chase Turbo. I can't talk too much about it yet, but if you like OutRun, I think it's definitely worth your speed. David, I think you talked to him too. I think you're about to check it out for Xbox One as well. Because it's definitely inspired by the old school. I, I came in on PS4 a while ago and I loved what it had to offer. And on Switch, it feels really good to take it on the go. So there's that one too. And then last but not least, uh, Super Hydora. Uh, this is a Gradius slash R-Type style shooter from the team at AB Light Studios. They're the guys who did uh, Cursed Castilla, that Ghost and Goblins sort of spiritual successor. Um, and it's, it's a great side-scrolling shooter. Um, on the Switch, it really stands out because you actually have a difficult difficulty select now so you don't have to like you know trudge it out if you you know don't have gradius style skills because not all of us do um and it's just great graphics fun 16-bit style tunes gameplay really clicks you could do two-player mode although it's kind of weird like if you lose all of your lives you have to wait for them to pick up an item or lose all their lives before you can start another match other than that though i mean 
it's really well done games uh, game super high door is really cool and i am starting to play dark siders 3 but i can't talk about it till next week so ah uh, so that was the game yeah that you were I, I, I was hitting like on, on Facebook, yeah right? i was hitting it was a game i was waiting six years to play and everybody automatically assumes it's let's go pikachu what <laughs> no as, as a huge dark siders 2 fan i am excited to see david adams and the team at gunfire get another crack at yeah. the franchise i'm now i'll talk about it more next week so uh you can look forward to my input there mike uh, but what about you david what have you been playing uh so i'm still playing through hitman 2 um i actually went through the um what was it the uh exclusive target or whatever the the elusive target oh, actually uh, yeah mm-hmm. Where sean, you bean. Get sean, bean. sean bean yes exactly yeah so it, it's actually really cool at like, the way that, that they set it up actually because uh obviously like sean bean is playing you know playing as like this character basically and uh he's basically like, this disgraced like um this disgraced like operative basically who's been like uh who's been like in hiding and uh he's you know he's like reportedly been killed like several times but he's you know he's like still alive or whatever so apparently he's he's uh he's, he's like um he's called like the undying i guess is like his his his, um, his nickname and so if you like approach him like you know all, all kind of dressed up as like an engineer or whatever and like you're sitting at a table it's kind of like you know being as part of like a meeting basically so it's kind of like inspect them before you like you make your move on him uh he actually like approaches you and he and he, you know because he's talking about like uh, about like a mission of his own that he's about to go on um, he asks you, he's like, how, how would you kill me if you were after me? And so you basically give like these like responses of like different ways that you would actually kill him, like in that very scenario, uh, which is, which is like really neat. Um, so, you know, as far as like poisoning his coffee or like stabbing him with the knife that's on the table or like, or, or, or whatever. Um, so basically the way that I got it to work was that uh, I was able to like, to, 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 to like poison his coffee, but I, I noticed like too late that there was like, actually like another option um, where if you get like his picture, you can actually scan it into like this experimental like prototype robot, basically that's meant to like kind of fire at things that like you know are, uh, or, or fire at soldiers, whatever if they if they rec- recognize like a soldier. Um, so they're doing like a prototype of it, and they have like these different pictures, basically these like images, so that the robot knows like who to shoot. So if you find like an image of uh, of like Sean Bean, basically like on like the on like the desk of like one of the people, whatever, um, you could basically use that so like the robot kills him automatically as like an accident kind of thing. So um, I, I noticed that too late, but that is a way to to actually kill him. So that's that, that's like a little tip there for people who haven't gone through that yet. Um, aside from that too, I've been playing Overwatch. Um, so I've been trying out more, uh, you know, it's, it's like more of Ash, like, you know, who's like, who's, uh, who's like the new hero. Uh, absolutely love her. I love like the way that she plays. Uh, I actually recently posted up like a video actually of, of, of me getting like a team kill on uh, Horizon Lunar Colony, which is like the, uh, the, the like second checkpoint basically of that, uh, where he's kind of, you know, sent out Bob and it's kind of just firing away at like people like who are, you know, as they're like trying to get on the point basically. So it's just like the perfect time to throw Bob out there, pop people up in the air and just like, throw me where? To Wait, take it, what? Take everyone. Yeah, exactly. Just like, just like throwing like robert workman into like the uh to the fray uh so just kind of take out everyone basically so it's just basically like how that whole whole thing turned out but it was a pretty awesome video it's like my my first like cool moment with ash basically so i posted that up uh if you see me on on social media there and uh aside from that too i've been playing sega heroes actually which is like that the new uh, the the new mobile game uh that came out uh where you basically play as all these like different sega characters basically just like team them up uh it's like a four-player team and uh, you, you can play as like characters from like uh, from Golden Axe, from Sonic, from Streets of Rage, uh, from Jet Set Radio. Um, I know DJ Professor K is in there, you know, which is pretty neat. Um, as well as uh, as well as Mister X, uh, who's like the boss, like from uh, from, uh, from Streets of Rage, or like Death Adder, who's like the boss in Golden Axe. Uh, so all you know, all sorts of like awesome characters, honestly, throughout Sega history. Um, otherwise, like it's it's kind of like a very puzzle quest, kind of like you know, puzzle RPG style game. 
Um, it's it's pretty neat. Like you know, it goes by the whole like loot box system and like you know and, and all that. It's kind of typical like mobile shenanigans basically. Uh, but I, I I certainly appreciate it because of all like, the different like Sega characters who you could play as and like form teams with and stuff. So like I, you know I, I certainly appreciate it for that. And you know it's it's free as well. So like it's something that the, you know that anyone can like kind of pick up and play. Uh, so I would I would recommend that you to uh, check that out. So David, uh, question: mm-hmm. Would you say one does not simply kill Sean Bean? <laughs> one does not simply kill Sean Bean. No, you know, I, I just said you know all you had to do is walk up to him and say Jupiter ascending. He would have run through a window. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, be neat, like a Easter egg, like way of a killing if if they add that uh, if they add that in there. I, I think that would have been like really neat if they did that. Uh, unfortunately, they, they did not. But um, but yeah, it, it is like really cool, like uh, idea for like uh, for, for an elusive target, honestly. So and, and, and like the way he plays with the character is really neat. So and you only have one shot. I mean, you only have one shot. Like, yes, exactly. Do yeah. not so, miss your chance to glow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so with that, I do have a game code here to give away. Uh, so this is for Ponkapoo, and I have codes for both PS4 and Steam that I'm going to be giving away here. Uh, so jump into a Neo Retro Adventure with Ponkapoo, a taste of 90s platformers in an uh, in a oneric. Uh, I don't know what that word is. Oneric. Uh, there might be like a typo there, but uh, in in a, in a wonderful world, let's say. Uh, Punkaboo is a narrative action platformer that takes place in the dreams of Jaharel, a child troubled by a tragic incident. Upgrade your skills, find new competencies, switch your Aegis in real time in order to get rid of nightmares invasions. So if that sounds like you're jammed, then definitely jump on this. Uh, again, the, the, you know, I have codes for PS4 and Steam, so the PS4 code is 6-T-E-L-F-6-N-8-N-F-L-J. And the Steam code is PRF4F44XC9VLVA5. Again, that's Pankapu on PS4 and Steam. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Stage of History. So with that, we have the Stage of History, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot, for better or for worse, in the pantheons of history. So I figure since uh, since we're going to be talking about um, you know, about like games that uh, have like uh, interesting marketing campaigns behind them, uh, we'll start off here with Crash Bandicoot 2 Cortex Strikes Back. So this is a 1997 platformer by Naughty Dog. A remake was released in 2017 as part of the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. The jungle levels were originally to have ground fog, but this was abandoned when magazines began to criticize other developers for using fog to hide polygon count. And a death animation in which Crash is squashed was altered for the Japanese version of the game due to its resemblance to the severed head and shoes left by a serial killer loose in Japan at the time. Uh, a little crazy there, but um, but yeah, so I imagine that both of you have played some Crash in your day. Crash is in my jam. I, Spyro, on the other yeah. hand... Mm, I, I did play some of Crash, and like the first game, I had some difficulty with some of the stages later on, but I enjoyed the way it was put together. I, I thought it was pretty cool, like, you know, with the different rooms that you could go in and all these different challenges. But, you know, you could definitely tell what, by the time Crash 2 came out, it was like, yeah, you want to move on to Spyro a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, it, that's the way kind of it is now, too. You know, everybody got their fill of uh, Crash, uh, Crash Bandicoot Insight Trilogy. Now we got Spyro Reignited Trilogy. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't played like too much of Crash outside of like playing with um with like my 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 cousins like who are big you know big Crash Bandicoot fans just because like that was like more of like what they grew up on like the, you know the, the, um, they're like younger than me and they just kind of grew up more in the uh, in the PlayStation era really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always been meaning to kind of check out the Insane Trilogy, uh, just kind of like experience the Crash games, but. 
I never really had any sort of motivation really to do so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, and like, you know, I know with like Crash 2, like that, that, um, you know, that, that was like a very popular one. And, uh, it was like one of the like best selling games I know for PS1. And, um, the big reason why I wanted to bring it up too is because of the fact that they had those, uh, th- um, those ads uh, on, on TV, like with, um, with like, the guy in the Crash outfit, uh, basically with like the microphone outside, like the tennis headquarters oh, yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. So, and, uh, they, they basically made that like a recurring theme for like a lot of the like commercials for like Crash games in general. So for like Crash 2 and for like Crash Team Racing, like they would have the guy in the, in the costume and just like, just be in random, in random scenarios, really. Um, you know, cause I, I remember there was like one too, like when I was doing some, uh, some, some research actually. Uh, where uh, there was like the guy in the crash outfit, just like outside of like a restaurant, just like banging on the window with like kids, just like eating or whatever. And he just like, kind of comes in. I think it was like a promotion. It was like a cross promotion with like Pizza Hut and Crash Bandicoot, I guess in that sense. So, um, but yeah, like it, it was like some some crazy thing like that. But they've had all like all sorts of commercials like that. Um, so the next game we have here in the stage of history is Daikatana. So this is a 2000 first person shooter by Ion Storm. A PlayStation version was planned but canceled during development. The character Hiro Miyamoto was named in honor of Romero's idol, Shigeru Miyamoto. And Time Magazine gave the game glowing coverage, saying everything that game designer John Romero touches turns to gore and gold. So, um, very popular quote there. And uh, certainly before, like, you know, Time was, like, I don't know, like, really kind of did, like, I guess, any sort of, like, research into the game itself. That They kind of just knew that, that John Romero was behind it. And obviously that was kind of the big selling point for the game itself. But then there was a very infamous magazine ad that uh that kind of sparked the downfall of this game before it even came out yeah needless to say i am not john romero's bitch yeah <laughs> exactly not, the, everything about this game was just like okay what happened yeah i, I don't know. i mean you, you get that's the problem when you put too much hype behind something and you don't see enough of the product you know you, you tend to see and then then you get it and be like wait this is it this is what well, we get excited this is the big return you it, it's sort of like um in reflection, like, you know, Cliffy B worked on Gears of War for so many years and then went to Lawbreakers, and not everybody was on board with that. So, yeah, you know, it, it's a matter of just taking a different direction, but not exactly the direction a lot of people want you to go. I mean, I know John Romero wanted to do his own thing, and, you know, he should be proud of that. But by the same token, you know, just realize you have a lot of anticipation going into something. And if you don't deliver, whew, you will hear about it like eternity you will hear about it people are still talking how terrible dakatana is it's been out like almost two decades now i'm all over that it's just nuts like how much it built up and then how much it let us down yeah it was it was unfortunate it was really unfortunate what happened there and you know that is the danger of um of of personality promoting as opposed hubris if you will yeah yeah (laughs) exactly yeah yeah yeah, that's that's yeah, fair. We're trying to go for shock value. You know, like when Cliffy said, fuck the media. I'm like, no. You know, it, the funny thing was when you talk about shock value, and we'll get into this with the with the game marketing thing. You know, when, when we did this panel at PAX West, you know, I asked everybody to come up with like at least one like really good example of of, uh, of game marketing and one one that kind of was a drawback. And Ben Faro, uh was on the panel and I know she's been on on your show before. Um, you know, she picked up a lot of like nineties marketing and how it really was so focused on the 18 to 25 year old male demographic and really off putting for a lot of other people. Um, oh yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> that panel is magic, and I can't wait till we hopefully can. I mean, I, I, I was very much in that demographic uh, dur- during that time, and even I was kind of like put off by it, honestly, because it just felt like so silly and over the top, and just like you know, very apparent to like what it, what it was that they were trying to do, as far as everything being like extreme and look how cool this is, and big guns and kids with wild hair and like all this stuff and like Hawaiian shirts or whatever. Like it was just like crazy, like what they were doing with like the marketing and what they thought, I guess, that kids were into, I guess, back then. So now we're going into Obscura. Yeah, I was going to actually use Daikatana for Obscura, damn it. But oh well, um, I'll bring Oops. up uh, <laughs> I'll bring up Shadow Man. Uh, Shadow Man was a uh, game that was developed by Acclaim Studios, T-Side, and published by Acclaim, obviously. It came out for Nintendo 64, PlayStation, and Dreamcast, along with Windows. Um, at the time, we were talking about this before the show, David. I mean, it had a great concept, like these dark abilities that you could use. It had a great theme, everything going on. But it was going head-to-head against Soul Reaver from Crystal Dynamics. And even though, like, it came out for, like, you know, Nintendo 64, where Soul Reaver did not, that game's utmost quality made people kind of go over there instead. Uh, which is kind of sad, because Shadow Man actually wasn't bad in terms of acclaim standards. But there was an interesting story revolving around Shadow Man's Second Coming, which came out for PlayStation 2 in 2002. Um, and this is another thing that ties into shitty marketing, because during part of the promotion, Acclaim did this thing where they would put small billboards attached to real tombstones, saying you know that they would pay relatives of the deceased for the advertising, uh, adding that poor families might actually be interested uh, according to the Metacritic, page, yeah, which is so kind of insulting. The quote here: uh, Acclaim Entertainment said yesterday that it would pay relatives of the recently bereaved in return for placing small billboards on headstones, and that the offer might quote particularly interest poorer families. Yeah. So Acclaim <laughs> oh, actually was actually targeting people of of fewer means for this. Thankfully, the churches in England said no, <laughs> <laughs> no. This is not happening. Yeah, this is poor taste. Really. Get out of here. <laughs> when it overshadows the game itself, you know, because Shadow Man's Second Coming, I heard, wasn't bad either. It wasn't the greatest. You know, there was people who consider it more like average compared to like, what the first game did, but it was still decent enough scores to be considered, you know, not a terrible game like Acclaim usually does. But when you have like a controversy, like overshadowing, like literally overshadowing, overshadowing the Shadow, Shadow Man, Man. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. all together now. But it's just, it's, it's kind of nuts that a claim was going for a shock value, but we will talk about it more, you know, cause I, I don't know what's worse. Like, you know, selling my gravestone to my aunt or naming my kid Turok, you know, I, right. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I have, you know, when we get it, when we get into the topic though, I've got some quotes about, the like the worst thing that acclaim ever. Oh, wow, I'm sure oh, I'm that are just gonna besides make, games. They're gonna make your toes curl. Besides games, because those are probably the worst oh, thing. Oh, I'm gonna did. make you. I am gonna make your toes curl. Okay, it's gonna be <laughs> all right. Worse than Chef's Love Shack challenge accepted. But the games actually weren't that bad. You know, they were based on the the Shadow Man comic book series by Valiant Comics, and at the time, we really you know. When you saw a comic book licensed game, usually they relied relied more on the license than the gameplay. But the gameplay in the original Shadow Man actually wasn't bad. It's just that it paled in comparison to, you know, um, everything that happened with Crystal Dynamics. You know, with the Soul Reaver, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what's interesting... And they had had very similar, like, gameplay mechanics. Like, he moved in between two worlds. You know, if you think about Soul Reaver, Raziel 
you know, moved in between the the corporeal world and the spirit world. And that's how you solve puzzles. So yeah, they had a lot. There were there were a lot of commonalities between them that made it that made it tough on it. Yeah, and no, there was a re-release. What happened was in uh, September 2013, uh, Night Dive Studios, the guys who worked on Forsaken and the Turok games for consoles and PC, uh, they re-released uh, Shadow Man for PC. But they did it with very little fanfare. They didn't do the tombstone thing, thank God. Uh, they just they just did it and relied more on hype. Um, the game did decent, but obviously they weren't interested in doing like console ports at the time because who's going to play? Well, I mean, obviously who's going to play a game like that when you could play something like Dark Souls or whatever? But um, you know, I, it was kind of interesting that they got a re-release from Night Dive. I actually just found out about that. But uh, yeah, Shadow Man was just one of those things that just had too many things working against it. Whether it was a, a competitor that had a far superior game, or the one of the worst marketing campaigns you could possibly think of, <laughs> I would be like, "Yeah, uh, I'm sure Uncle Lewis won't mind me advertising this game for a few bucks. You don't mind, Uncle right. Lewis, right? <laughs> exactly, You're not going to come exactly. back and eat my brains, right? Thanks, Uncle Lewis." <laughs> So let, let's let's go into the main topic now, which is basically going to be all about video game advertising in history. So uh, you know, it's like a big reason why I have like, uh, you know have like Mike on here because you did do like the panel as you mentioned um, on this very topic, basically. Um, so basically, can can you tell us like a bit about like how that panel went or like what it was exactly that you talked about in a very like condensed time? Yeah. Um, so the pa- whole idea for the panel came out of what happened right before E three this year, um, and it was the Walmart Canada leak, and right. in particular, kind of was the was the genesis of uh of this idea and and not so much the leak itself but how bethesda responded right <laughs> uh and really taking taking the opportunity because you know one of the games that appeared on that that laundry list of very conceivable games was rage 2 everybody's like come on they're not making a sequel to rage this list is ridiculous <laughs> and bethesda's like no we're totally we're totally yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's totally happening we're just about to announce it and we're just gonna have some fun the funniest thing about that was it blew up everybody else who appeared on that list for unannounced games with the exception of ubisoft because split there was a splinter cell game yeah and i was very disappointed that that wasn't emerged. real honestly <laughs> um, it still hasn't emerged but i'm kind of thinking maybe that's real um but on that list um you know i don't think odyssey had been announced yet um Let's see. We knew Smash was happening already. Yeah. There were there were a few titles on there, and I think with Splinter Cell, I think they were gonna announce it, but they kind of sat on it because they didn't want to take away from the Division Two and Starlink and all that. Yeah. I mean, it would have been stacked enough as it is. So I would not be surprised if we see it surface next year. So do you think maybe they pulled out Splinter Cell like because of the leak, possibly? No, I don't think I don't think that's the case because because publishers aren't going to change their plans like that that's the case but lego dc villains was on the list that hadn't been announced yet um i think the biggest surprise um the biggest surprise that wasn't announced or that wasn't revealed uh was borderlands 3 because we know it's happening they've already committed to the fact that yes this is this is happening um gears of war 5 was on the list interestingly enough and that kind of uh that that was in fact announced um forza horizon 5 was on the list which we clearly know was just yeah. misnumbering because forza horizon 4 uh is out but yeah there were a lot of obvious ones on the list so so rage 2 right rage 2 and all of a sudden bethesda i'm um 
I have this tweet. They, they tweeted it out. Hey, Walmart Canada, here are a few notes. They circled it wrong font, wrong, you know, not all caps, incorrect key art, missing age rating. They put the the big pink anarchy symbol over and they're like, oh, everybody's like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> this thing's actually happening. No, it's kind of funny how they can announce something like that and still have surprises at their show, like the new Elder Scrolls game that they're working on. And obviously that that one they've been talking about um, in space, I forgot the exact name of it, but they, they still had surprises and still piled on the rage too. And even brought in Andrew W.K., at the press conference, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's how you do it, Bethesda. Keep it up. <laughs> but, but the other thing about Bethesda is, and I know you know people aren't super thrilled with Fallout 76 right now, but if you think about everything that Bethesda did in the lead up to that game's announcement, you know they had like the 24 hour, um, you know, Pip Boy thing on or uh, uh, Fault Boy on on Twitch, um, and you know Pete showed up and a lot of other people showed up, and it was just. It was just madness. It was just funny. And they had like two million people tune in for that. So Bethesda was doing a lot of really cool marketing things, and that and and uh, Pete ended up having to skip PAX West, but he was originally supposed to be on the panel. Um, and you know we ended up you know and we kind of went from there. Like man, we should really talk about some of this stuff. Like what went well, what went, and what didn't go so well. So some of the other things that we that we talked about were um, when Pokemon Go was first announced and how well that live action trailer did. Um, and how while it didn't sell the actual gameplay mechanics, it showed it sold what um, the Pokemon company Niantic wanted wanted to really get across was the feeling of playing Pokemon in the real world. Right. Yeah. And I think that was also kind of like honestly like like a catalyst to how they're going to market uh, the Detective Pikachu movie uh, because oh, because, because of that being like live action, being set in like in a real world kind of setting, whatever. Um, obviously, they kind of like knew from the from the Pokemon Go marketing that it was just like you know this is kind of like something that that, that, like people want like like people want pokemon in the real world basically you know the the other stuff we talked about was how well the original wii was marketed because you know that that console sold over 100 million units and ended up in places you never expected to find a game console um you know going visiting family who don't play video games and like oh yeah we were playing wii bowling i'm like there's a wii in your house when was the last time if ever you've purchased a game console and these people, and the the hard the hard thing was the flip side of the Wii U, where they did nothing. Nintendo did nothing to capture the people who were first time game console buyers. With you know, with the Wii, there was nothing to motivate them to buy the Wii. I think U. was it just the um, advertisements for those two those two Asian dudes? We would like to play. We would like, like to play. That's that's what it was. Yeah. It was that, and they came into houses, and and you know, if you look at a lot of the advertising, you see very divert. You see diversity you see families there is one ad that i'm looking at right here because i've got our our deck up from the from the from the panel where it's like an older couple i use that image a bunch of times on uh, <laughs> when i was writing we and we stories and nintendo stories um but then the flip side here was uh, when the wii u was announced at, at e3 2011 wii u are you confused did Nintendo yeah. the Wii U reveal? I mean, <laughs> survey's opinion, uh, survey's opinion considers the case. Nintendo Land of Confusion. What's a Wii U? Uh, confusion over Wii U as a Wii peripheral contributing to poor sales. Awada says that was in April of 2013. So you know, here we are, um, you know, into 2013 here, and people are like, I have no idea what this is. In contrast, you've got 
2DS and 3DS ads in Europe of people sitting on the sitting on the toilet. It's like, just embrace it, man. You're going to play games on the can. <laughs> exactly. Play Nintendo games on the can. Yeah, I think the, the thing that threw me off is like the advertising took a like much different shift with the Wii U. There was this one commercial. It was the giant U. And there were just families inside the giant U with their little table setups or whatever playing on the Wii U. I and remember those. those. Weird. Yeah. Like... What, I have to get a giant U to enjoy this system? I mean, you know, I had one, but I was just like, you, you, you take a look at like Nintendo's advertising scale. Wii was relatively simple. Wii U was, what the fuck is this? And then Switch is like, you know what? Go after, go after this crowd instead. You know, it was Wait, interesting. Here's the thing about the Switch, though. I mean, do you remember when that, when that console was first announced and that live action thing? And then you had the, the woman showing up to the, to the picnic on the rooftop oh, party and, yeah. Karen, 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 whatever it is. <laughs> and here and then here we are nine months later going we're all Karen. yeah i mean seriously everyone's picking yeah. up you're all bringing our stupid nintendo things to the party and setting it up it's like, yeah. like the airport yeah. also that, was, that, was, that yeah. became like a big exactly. thing exactly you know i mean people diablo people who would have guessed that right, over right? skyrim you know all right. that stuff i mean like yeah. nobody thought wait skyrim hasn't been officially announced what is this wait and then all these people going karen we're trying to have a dinner party why'd you bring the switch yeah. Yeah. and karen had the right <laughs> she did idea. i would i would marry karen if she offered <laughs> i mean so we also talked about things that kind of happen in the real world like mass like early copies of mass effect 3 being launched into space right yeah and then right. those balloons bursting and people going chasing after copies oh my god that was <laughs> right. hilarious i mean so there were there's a lot of really cool cool stuff that happened in game marketing but there's a lot of really bad shit that happened the 90s magazine ads where you've got the woman who's chained up on the bed and it's a it's a game boy the new game boy pocket seriously distracting where the dude's playing that instead of like there's a woman in, like chained up you know suggestively with lingerie on the bed um you've got uh, uh, a Chemco, uh, Chemco game. Uh, I guess this is an NES game. Oh, it was a Virtual Boy game. It was uh, virtual base, virtual baseball league. Finally, baseball without the chili dog parts, and it's two dudes with their ass cracks oh, at a game. Why? Um, of course. Here we go. Woman in, uh, in with like massive '80s hair in white lingerie with a dude playing with a joystick, like holding it by his crotch. And the and the caption here is, I remember when he couldn't keep his hands off me. And it's a Neo Geo. <laughs> no, I remember that was, one, yeah. There was another one, too. The Sega Saturn ad. The Sega Saturn ad where it's like the 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 the, the picture of the woman, and this one's drawn, where she's naked, and you've got screens all yeah. over her body, and it says, in case you didn't notice, there's a beautiful naked Yeah, woman. seriously, that was almost as weird as the ones where Ice Cube had the rings around his head, and I'm still trying to figure out what what his role was but there was another one for the playstation portable um there was an ad featuring a lady just in all white like this sexy white outfit and white hair and she was oh, holding God, this black yes. by the chin and she that playstation portable white is coming black it was a black woman, woman. Sorry. it was a white black woman holding like woman. a black woman well, by like, the, like her wow, neck or whatever just, yeah but it was like white is better yeah basically yeah because i think it was like advertising for the psp white i believe it, it was like it was like the white version of the mm -hmm, console exactly and it was just so wrong it was so tone deaf, honestly, because even even Sony was like trying to like defend it at first, from what I understand, and it just didn't go over well at all. So they're like, okay, let's just scrap the whole thing. <laughs> then it's like, yeah, it, like it's. I mean, you have to be pretty pretty tone deaf, like to not see like the, the you know like just like the messaging, which is like in the imagery. And, itself, and there was so. another one I got to bring up here. Uh, when Resident Evil Six came out, Capcom apparently teamed up with some sort of butcher shop to make uh, cuts of meat that were shaped like human hands. 
or other human body parts, and people were freaking the hell out. Oh, well, then there was also the bullet storm, the ground, the ground meat with all the, oh. the chunks of bone, and oh, I mean, but then you've got the good ones, Darksiders too. You know, you know, rest in peace, THQ sent everybody sent well, not everybody, but a, but a bunch of major press, and Alexander Smolinski still has his gravestones with their name on them. And the weirdest part was like people had to call. Um, People had to call like all these journalists and say, "What? What's your oh, man?" Yeah. <laughs> so and they're like, "What the fuck?" It's a little creepy. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> and then you know, like there was other disastrous attempts to try to get a- attention for shock value. I don't know if you guys remember um, back in the era of like the Guitar Hero games, there was this game called Power Gig: Rise of the Six String. Like Seven Forty Five Studios was pushing this hard, and they got together a ton of these Guitar Hero guitars, and they shoved them off a plane into a volcano. <laughs> but the way that the game sold, you might as well push all the copies of Power Gig right along with it because that was an unplayable piece of shit. I remember uh, that. Because I, yeah. oh, I that think was... I think they're like advertising the game as being like a real way to learn guitar, unlike Guitar Hero. So mm-hmm. it was meant to be kind of like harder to play. But no one wants to play a game that's hard to play. Really? Yeah, they want something <laughs> like Rocksmith that's adaptable. Rocksmith nailed it. Whereas Power Gig was like, what the hell am I playing and why am I wasting my life? Yeah. yeah, I mean they were all kind of like overshadowed by, by by like Guitar Hero and and and, um, and like Rock Band anyway. So oh, here, here's a good really one. matter. Funny, let me ask you a question. During your panel, did you bring up the Dead Space Two campaign where all these moms were scared out of their minds? No, see that one didn't bother me as much. See, a lot of people were. Like those people find waivers, right? Is yeah, it the I Dead Space so. one. Or? Yeah, this one where moms are watching the footage and they're freaking the hell out when they see all this. What's happening in the game? And I remember like, that. Oh yeah. man! Now the one that the one that we did bring up though was the Dead Island. The I need to be very clear about this. Oh, this the first, the first game. Yeah, yeah. This did not happen in the U.S. The U.S. Collector's Edition for Dead Island Riptide was a lunchbox, a zombie hula girl. And a bottle opener, because I had that one. Yeah, and, you're, you're and talking about Riptide, of, right? The, the overseas. I'm talking about Riptide in yeah. the UK, though. It was this zombified bikini torso thing. That's right. And everybody's like, "What are you doing? This <laughs> like, is so bad." Who wants that? Like that. That's like the real question. Who know, wants somebody that? Somebody probably bought it. Then there was the time that EA shipped brass knuckles. Mm. to the press and then was like oh wait we just shipped weapons across state lines <laughs> where we need to act like oh ow. man rockstar did that they gave out like brass knuckles at an e3 event and i'm like there is no way in hell i'm taking these on a plane with me because i'm going to yeah, get yeah. no i'm no no but, oh, it's like sending out like no. splinter cell with like real knives or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. um you know, so what else did we talk about? We I, we talked about the zombie torso. We talked about a claim. The last one I want. The last one I think we should talk about is kind of the the thing that kind of led to a claim just like being they're done. So we talked about Shadow Man. We talked about Turok and the naming the babies thing, right? So Dave Mira BMX, right, was a well loved series. People people liked that franchise. So a claim says, let's just mess it up. Yeah, <laughs> and they did. They they made a game called BMX Triple X. It's Robert's favorite. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, and I and you know the funny thing is in researching this because I never played the game. Uh, looking at the 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 women with like just they're naked. There's just naked mm-hmm. women riding bicycles. Well, this is like around the same time as like uh, what was it like the guy game? Yeah, the guy yeah with the topless women. Oh, and the funny yeah. thing about BMX Triple yeah. X, like PlayStation Two, you couldn't unlock any nudity. Xbox, you had to do like a code. GameCube, they didn't care. Just titties everywhere, titties. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so of course this this caught a lot of flack. Here's the New York Times: Game formula is adding sex to the mix. 
quote, and I believe this is Greg Fishback, who was the CEO of the claim at the time. When we were designing the game, he said we anticipated that certain mass markets would not carry the title because it was not like Walmart was like, uh, no. Right. <laughs> and I think a, lot, a couple of other retailers were like, no. But, but other merchants might carry more. Consumer mm. demand is not going to diminish. Greg Fishback <laughs> also said this. We believe that there is a general unfair characterization of the interactive entertainment industry. And as a result, our product is being held to an entirely different standard than other entertainment media with comparable content, including movies, television, and radio, said Greg Fishback, co-chairman and CEO of Acclaim. According to NPD's August report, more than 60% of all next-generation hardware owners are men over the age of 18. And this combined with the fact the last year's number that last year's number one selling game was mature rated fully supports our belief in the demand for this type of content. Now I have no idea what game he was talking about, but there is a difference between a mature rated shooter and we going to have yeah. boobies on, on bikes. Right. And, it, that's, that's all this game was. <laughs> and the worst part was, you know, people knew the BMX series from, from acclaim. And it's like, I, okay, clearly this is not a game for kids. It's called BMX triple X, but you know, this is the argument here was, was nonsense. So, um in 2003 so this i believe is in 2002 the game came out so in 2003 dave mira sued a claim over the bmx triple x title and 18 months later and i don't think he was successful in that suit by the way 18 months later game maker acclaim files for bankruptcy it's unclear what will happen to the company's upcoming 100 bullets game and other properties <laughs> right. i can tell you what happened to 100 bullets it died it never came <laughs> yeah i got shit canned <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the problem is BMX Triple X. They said it wasn't a kids game, but I swear to God, I saw it at a Toys R Us. I swear to God, it was just. I mean, they would have still tried to get a carry yeah. though. But I mean, like, it's just a matter of like if the, if like the retailers are going to actually mm -hmm. carry it. Now, was the game rated M or, or was it rated like AO? It was rated M. Okay. Was it? Yeah, it, was it, just it barely M, right? got away with an M. I think they were trying to do like a little bit more, and they had to censor a little bit, and then they got away with an M. All right, I'm looking at, hold on, I'm pulling up the ESRB. Yes, it was rated M for Mature, for Comic Mischief, Partial Nudity, Strong Language, partial and Strong nudity. Sexual right. Content. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. <laughs> partial. Partial Nudity, just the yeah. So, I mean, yeah, wasn't that kind of like a similar thing, too, with the uh, with the Lisa Shoot Larry game that like came out, like Magna Cum Laude, uh, I think it was yeah, called? Yeah, that had titties all the place. Magna Cum Loudly? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That, that was one of those games, I mean... You know, it definitely had the the leisure suit Larry spirit, but it went a little overboard at some points. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's I mean, it's definitely like just kind of like I don't know, kind of like Animal House, like um, I don't know, yeah. uh, Porky's kind of level of like humor, basically. That that's kind of like w what they were going for, yeah. but it just doesn't translate well, really, in a, in like a gaming experience, and especially when your game kind of looks very like cartoonish and all that stuff. I like. I'm guessing, and you know, as much as I, as, I, as I love the game as well, I imagine that's why. Like, there was also low sales too for uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, because mm -hmm. um, the fact that like it looked like a Banjo Kazooie style game or whatever, but like it certainly wasn't for kids at all. And then so. we have like the coup de gras when it comes to sex, nudity, and weird stuff. Um, Dante's Inferno. Now, the game itself is actually great. It's Viscral's take on God of War. You know, it's a little heavy-handed in the religious stuff, but it's actually a good action game. But everything surrounding it, like there was the E3 event where the uh, fake protesters were going after the game. Um, there were, all, of course, all these advertisements. You know, like, what was it? It was the go-to-hell commercial during Super Bowl to Ain't No Sunshine oh, right. When She's Gone. Oh. That wasn't bad. But then it was that thing at Comic-Con, Mike. Um, what was it? 
Was it Comic-Con com- or was it E3? It was uh, Comic-Con where EA invited users to commit acts of lust by taking... Oh! Pick your, no, no, no. no <laughs> the, the protesting was E3. The protesting was at E3, but the commit act of lust, that was Comic-Con. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and okay. I don't recall what they... What, oh. Here, let me read up. It says right here. It says... <laughs> I, I, found I, it. I, found, I found it on Houston Press. EA invited Comic-Con goers to commit acts of lust by taking pictures with booth babes and uploading them on social media. The winner would get, and I'm not shitting you, this is what it says, a sinful night with two hot girls, a limo service, paparazzi, and a chest full of booty. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I, I think we just found our weird one. I mean, like you, I mean, like you said, Mike, you, you had... Uh, as somebody who worked on this campaign on that panel, uh, I, I'm assuming this came. Yeah, up. I don't. We didn't talk about the Comic Con bit. We just talked about the fake protesters. Oh, okay. Three. Maybe we didn't go too far. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go maybe far enough. I will, I will yeah, hey, hey. Back. Now we have something for the next panel. There you go. <laughs> I will have to circle back and see if she's involved with that. I, I, I wouldn't slander her to say that 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 sounds like something that she would do. Well, maybe, maybe it was. You never know. The we should ask her, honestly. <laughs> they were trying to load up on this controversy, though. That's what it is. It was, it was a matter of, you know, oh, you're going to hell. So, you know, all bets are off when it comes to advertising, except kind of not. So in cases like that, like, you know, with like controversy and like where it backfires and all that, do you recall any moments uh, like where the controversy went in, into like the game's favor, really? Because like I can only really think of. Yeah, well, yeah? here's the thing. Here, here's mm-hmm. the secret. Um, <laughs> it works. I mean, the as far works. as like the sales are concerned, yeah. And the shock, value, yeah. I mean, shock value also works. The awareness, it's free, pre- yeah. it's free press. Fans laugh. Um, you know, it's. You know, I would say that we're we're maybe in a place where where people do need to be a little bit more sensitive. But the the question I have is like, all right, look. Saints Row, Saints Row the Third, the Penetrator, the right. giant dildo yeah. bat. Would that fly today? I think with the right marketing campaign, Maybe. it would fly today. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, especially Absolutely. especially if Aubrey Jude Norris is still hitting people with one at a party. That's right. Great. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it is kind of funny, like you know how you know Call of Duty Black Ops is supposed to be this game where about oh you got to go in multiplayer and you got to survive and everything like that but you take a look at a commercial that has everybody from Jack Black to Robert Downey Jr just having a good time blowing yep. each other up you know it's not as shocking as other ads but it's definitely something that sells the popular vibe of the game it's yeah, memorable exactly. it's memorable those that's memorable because you see you've got this crossover between actors who you don't often think about being in the game space suddenly mm-hmm. in the game space very you know very much entrenched in the game space so those advertisement advertisements work but i would say that that advertisements on the whole don't work the way they used to we don't you know there aren't very many magazines left so those those 90s style magazine ads even magazine ads today um Mm -hmm. you know aren't quite as catchy i think you get very few games who can afford television advertising television advertising is exceedingly Mm -hmm. expensive media like football games and things like that yeah 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 web advertising doesn't work doesn't work anymore it's why you've had the shift to influencers and that's a whole other can of worms when it comes to because you're you are you are letting your brand ride on somebody else's behavior, and we know from the likes of PewDiePie mm-hmm. and yeah. others that that can blow didn't up in the your Black face. Ops the last thing you want is your streamer. You know, I mean, we can talk about Overwatch League for instance. You know, Blizzard didn't have a good handle on behavior for a number of players, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Overwatch XQC, League, for example, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly the person I was thinking about. Um, you know, you've got people who are representing Overwatch League who are bad actors, and all of a sudden you've tied your brand to somebody you can't control. 
So, you know, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic about, you know, using, you know, about influencer marketing. And I'm certainly not the best person to talk to about that, but I can, I can tell you that there's always risk when you're tying your brand to something, whether it's another platform, another person that you can't control or that you can't rely on. I mean, can, can that also kind of fall into like the same line of thinking, like where like, just like the, um, the controversy kind of like sells the game really. Like if you have a controversial figure, like, like a PewDiePie or whatever, it's like kind of like attached to a game and because they, they, they are no, so, I don't so believe, popular. I don't believe that works anymore. I don't believe that can be everything. A game has to be good. So look at what was it? Hatred. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Think about that. That who played that game. That game was, was the people who played it said it was garbage. It went out expressly for shock value. And I would suggest that the games that we think of as being the, the memorable games that have shock value. You want to talk about South Park. Right, the stick of truth yeah. and uh, the fractured butthole. Those were decent games. Those were good games that wrapped themselves up in shock value. Was was Postal a good game in retrospect? Ah. But no, controversy by itself doesn't sell games. Controversy by itself can elevate a game into into the public discussion, and if it ends up being a good game. And again, this is controversy doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing if the subject matter is handled well. And that ultimately is what it comes down to is if, are you just being shocking for the sake of being shocking as, and that is your entire hook or are you being shocking because you have something to say? So and, do, you, do you think that like helped possibly with uh, mass effect sales when it was uh, being shown on like Fox news and all that for like sex scenes, like, like you know, the quote unquote sex scenes in the game. Oh, they're not I think quote unquote sex anybody scenes. Who, they're sex scenes. <laughs> I mean, they're like sex scenes, but I mean, like they're not—they're not like explicit, like kind of like right. movie style sex oh, scenes. Oh, I, I know saying. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So the softer sex scenes. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like soft core, soft core, mm-hmm. basically. You know? I know. Let's say. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, you know, I don't. I, again, I don't think anybody who plays games, you know, is going to look at Fox News and be like, "Oh, well, Fox News said that." We we laugh at that. It's like PETA who is purposely using shock marketing when Pokemon comes out to to elevate their own product i don't think anybody looks at that as um looks at that as as serious criticism it's it's pearl clutching nonsense and in the sake of in the case of PETA, they're doing it because they know they can elevate their own brand on somebody else's back and you know from from that perspective that's really smart Mm -hmm. marketing but sometimes you can actually take a simpler route i think sometimes you don't have to take the shocking i mean take a look at um the 2007 ad for gears of war Simple, you know, it features in-game rendering. It goes to the tune of Mad World, and it almost looks like I swear to God they're gonna they're gonna kill the main character with this giant friggin' locust horde slug or whatever. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, were- yeah, but it's just nuts. You can do something simple like that and make a different kind of shock value without going overboard, you know, or doing this well, sort of campaign, and it sells the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was shock value or if that was just really cool use of tonal contrast. Right talking about okay. the Mad World ad. Yeah, the Mad World ad, or even for that matter, the original Dead Island trailer that was running in reverse. Again, that that, that Dead Island trailer was amazing, but again, mm-hmm. you're talking tonal contrast. Well, okay, my bad. And See, I'm. It's not. It's not as much shock value. It's you're taking this very melancholy music um, and putting it against something that is absolutely not a melancholy. You're putting it against visuals that aren't melancholy. In the case of Gear okay. War, you're talking about. You know, these big burly guys with guns with chainsaws on them. It's like, what the heck is this? And then with with Dead Island, (laughs) there was an emotional hook there. That was just a really, it's like, 
we up until that point, I think a lot of us had thought about zombie games as I'm gonna just shoot zombies. I'm just gonna hack and slash zombies. Zombies, 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 zombies. And this is like, oh my god, what about the people who like were there at the beginning? Yeah. But what, what was like the real crime there really is that that wasn't indicative of what the game actually was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. Because uh, like the game like like wasn't this like heartfelt like almost like Walking Dead style drama kind of thing. Like it, it was just like another zombie romp basically, yeah. and it had like no emotional emotional like just tie in like at like at all. Just like how the um, uh, the 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 trailer showed really. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think it's just a matter of do you want like controversy to sell all the way through? Sometimes you you can keep it simpler. I mean, like for instance, um, let me reflect on probably one of my favorite commercials of all time, uh, 2011, um, Robin Williams with his daughter, Zelda, mm-hmm. uh, do, playing Ocarina of time and just enjoying it. And that's it. You know, it's nothing over the top. It, it, it nails the point, And yet at the same time, it's actually pretty cool that he named his daughter after the legend of Zelda series. You know, it's a nice little bonus on top of that. So I don't know when it comes to effectively, effectively doing marketing, you, you can shock somebody to death, but sometimes you can also keep it pretty simple. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think we want to be careful when we talk about something that's shocking or controversial or, you know, this is, it's surprising. And I think, yeah, there's, you know, we talk about moments of delight in marketing. Right. And, and finding Robin Williams, like, oh, my God, Robin Williams loves video games, too. That's a moment of delight for people yeah, you know, exactly. making a connection with someone they, they like in a different mm-hmm. context. So, um, yeah, we should wrap up with the main topic here. But, uh, Robert, I believe you have a game code here to give um, away. I do have a game code to give away here. Uh, what's going on is, uh, as you guys know right now, Overwatch is going through a free week, uh, which means you can check out um, – on PC, Xbox One, and PS4, the full game through uh, November 26th. Blizzard was kind enough to give me a few codes for PC for Overwatch Legendary Edition. So you can go to battle.net, register an account, and if you enter this code, you can get the game. The code is TBHJR94MLFCPTBMF484DN. Uh, that's for Overwatch Legendary Edition on PC. Battle.net. Enjoy. Choose your character. Michael, I know you have to go very very soon here, but let's just try to go through like a quick game here of random select. Uh, so this is a yes or no 15 question game to guess which video game character that Robert is this week. So basically it's going to be you and I here, Mike, uh, acting as a team to guess which okay. video game character that Robert is. Um, and if after five questions that we don't get it, he'll give the first hint. After 10, he'll give the second. And after 15 questions that we don't get it, then it's game over. Okay. So, I'll, try, I'll try not to make it too obscure because I know you're in a hurry. So... Yeah, <laughs> I know we don't want to burn that food, and Amanda don't want to yell at you. I'm, I'm <laughs> exactly. So yeah. yeah. So um, feel feel free to start off with the first question there, there, Mike. Okay. Are you human? Yes. Hmm. Uh, do you use a weapon? Yes. Are you featured on a Nintendo platform? Mm, let's see. Sounds like one they're of, on a Nintendo platform. One of my one of my adventures is there. I could say that. Oh, interesting. Huh. <laughs> uh, okay. Are you in Smash Brothers? No. Hmm. Ooh. That's four there. Hmm. Okay. So one of your adventures is featured on an... Yeah. And it's not exactly a direct sequel, if that helps any. Oh, so it might be a spinoff of yep. some sort, then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Is your game set in a contemporary time frame? Um, no. And that's a first hint. And it'll be like, hey guys, remember that time I fought Sly Cooper and Parappa the Rapper? 
That's my, <laughs> okay. that's my first clue. So that might help you out a little bit. It's funny. I lit up when you said Smash Brothers because I'm not in that. But You're in PlayStation. Okay, but you are PlayStation in PlayStation All-Stars. I'm um, sure. Yeah. I won't even count that as a question. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so they're clearly, oh, so they're clearly all right, PlayStation All-Stars. All right. Now he's going to look over the cast and just read over all the names. <laughs> I, I have um, it on <laughs> Yeah. Um, let me see. Game that was on. Hmm. Oh. Uh, hmm. No, I think your... Crash Bandicoot was, was an in PlayStation All-Stars. No. Um, and that doesn't so... count as a question, so... No, no, no! I'm, I'm, I'm like asking Mike. No, um, he was no, 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 no. Um, but um, okay. Uh, are you male? Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Okay. I've got, I have a. I think I have a good question here. Okay, go. Uh, is your is your game set in space? Yes. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I have it figured out. Okay. Yeah, I think I do too. <laughs> yep. uh, are you Isaac Clark? I am. Yes. Yeah. Well done, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you it'd be a quick round. And my uh, my second clue was I can't believe I had to do this three times. Oh. There you go. There you go. So there we go. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to pay tribute to Isaac Clark because I think Dead Space was horribly underrated, and I think it needs to come back, but it never will. But hey, we have the three games and very good. The very Dead good. Space Wii spinoff. So yeah, yes. um, Matt or Matt, Mike, thanks for coming on our show. <laughs> Thank you for having. Me. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so for coming is, on. The weird thing is, this is the the second time today I've been called Matt. I'm sorry. And, and, no, 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 no! Hold on. <laughs> Both times, it was related to good things. Okay, so I was. Oh, okay. I was thinking. I'm going to change my name to Matt. I've okay, there you go. Matt there you go. <laughs> as long as it's not, as long as you are not Dave Oshry. There no. you go. <laughs> it was hey, funny. Yo. That's great. That's a long story. That is. Like, let's just say. Call of Duty XP 2011. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I heard the somehow, story. So. Some other conversation came up, and then I passed out in the lounge. I don't know what happened. Yep. Oh, boy. Just a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes. It was, it was just a quick nap. But, uh, yeah, Michael, where can we find your work? Uh, let's see. So I have a monthly column on Variety Gaming. Uh, in fact, I just finished up the November column, and hopefully that will be up next week. Uh, so it's a column on uh, the business of the video game industry. You can find my work on Game Daily. I'm doing some tabletop work on Super Parent. Uh, I have been on Polygon, Mashable. Uh, I was the news editor for Game Informer for a while. But you can always find me on Twitter at Footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. Very cool. Well, thank you again for coming on here, Mike. Uh, it's really like a pleasure to, to finally have you on the show. And it's kind of like talking about stuff. So. I, I know that we tried really hard, like in the fall, but marching band on Wednesdays is just yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> it's a bit. I hear yeah. you. <laughs> and we caught you right before Thanksgiving. Well, will you guys have? A- did. This was this was absolutely perfect. I'm so glad that you reached back out. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. This is absolutely, man. absolutely, yeah, and it's a real uh, pleasure. Thanks for coming on, and uh, be sure to tell Amanda that we said hello and come back soon. I will absolutely do that. Awesome. We are going to go make pumpkin pie. Uh, now I'm all hungry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Enjoy that pie. <laughs> Take care, Mike. Um, all right. Have a good one, gents. You bet. You, you too. too. And uh, with that, David, I believe we only have one more topic here before we close out uh, Before we close yes. out for the evening here. Uh, it's funny. We, we talked about Horizon Chase Turbo a little earlier, right, and how it's inspired by OutRun. But it apparently we're going to get the actual OutRun because Sega has announced as its latest addition to the Sega Ages lineup that OutRun is coming to the Nintendo Switch and it will be out sometime before the end of 2018, although I believe that's only in Japan. Nothing confirmed here yet, but we could see it very soon. Uh, This is uh, based 
on the port of the 3DS version that was handled by M2, the same developer. It'll have 60 frames per second frame rate, widescreen support, gyro controls to recreate arcade steering, and it will also have tune-up features and additional BGM music aside from the passing breeze and magical sound shower. Uh, Mike would have loved that. Um, but, you know, it had all these, <laughs> these great music selections, which is uh, really cool. And it's probably only going to be like, you know, eight bucks. You know, so um, yeah, hopefully, I, yeah, because I, I, yeah, I don't think any of the classics have gone over eight bucks. I don't even think virtual racing will go over eight bucks. Um, I love this game. I mean, it is frustrating when you crash into something and your car flips and your girlfriend's pissed off at you. I'm like, <laughs> that's like the best part, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just live to piss off women. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> that's me, but, yeah, David, uh, alone again. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's just it's a really great arcade style game, and it, well, it's an arcade game, obviously, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know what kind of memories you have from it, but I, I love this one and I love the Outrun ports on Xbox. Outrun 2 and obviously Coast yeah. to Coast. But, uh, I had the 3DS version of this as well, actually. And um, yeah, it was it was a really really good port, um, aside from like the 3D, like the 3D just in general, I'm just not like a f- big fan of it, you know, just like in in, uh, in like any of the games on 3DS. Right. Um, but it, it did handle it well. Um, and thankfully, this won't have 3D in it, like this this port anyway. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it's always been like a great game. Like, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's an awesome game if you're able to play like in, in the like arcades, so, like, you know, if you're able to find like a, like, like, uh, like a retro arcade place uh, to play it on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's really cool that, that this will be made available on switch and I think it'll make like a good home on there. Also. Yeah. And, uh, one else, and I believe, like I said, it's coming out end of 2018 for Japan and probably early next year for us. And, uh, one more thing, we didn't really mention it with the stage of history, but we do want to wish a 20th birthday, happy birthday to the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time. Uh, obviously mm-hmm, one of yeah. the best classics in the series. It's a really appreciated game. And, uh, you know, one of these days, maybe we'll do an episode that circle back, circle back around to it and talk more about how it really revolutionized what we expect from the legend of Zelda series. But, Sure. Yeah. Don't hesitate. You know, I mean, check this out if you haven't already. Yeah, and um, if if you want to kind of get like your your Zelda fix, we did do like a Zelda episode actually. Oh. So uh, you, you you can certainly find that. Um, we just I have believe, to uh, figure out which one it was. <laughs> yeah, let me just look it up real quick. Yeah. Here. Okay, um, but I mean, we should quick, definitely quick, do something that looks at Ocarina of Time because that by itself is just you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's Arcast episode eighty nine actually. Adventuring in the Legend of Zelda with Katie De Silva, uh, who did actually nice. recently release her her book actually. So, um, so yeah, that's that's definitely something to to check out. We'll we'll like, include that um, that that episode in the show notes as well if you want to quickly find it. So yeah. But yeah, um, that is our episode there, um, David. Yeah, so yeah, if if you want to find the Artcast on Twitter, we are at Art Podcast. Same thing for Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash Art Podcast. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at The Guilty Man. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at twitter.com slash the DCD. You can also check out my work at comicbook.com slash gaming, where I did just post my review of Battlefield 5. So be sure to read that up. And be sure to check out also our partner site with Don't Feed the Gamers at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That's run by a good friend, Leanna Ruppert, who also works at comicbook.com slash gaming. And her and the team, they get fan centric news and reviews in gaming. So be sure to check that out. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for any of us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at argcast at retrozap.com. And while you're at retrozap.com, be sure to check out the other amazing podcasts we have there, especially of the Star Wars variety. We have the flagship show Brews and Blasters, along with Kanata's Castle and Starships, Sabres, and Scoundrels. There's also Beltway Bantas, which combines both Star Wars and politics, so if you're both minds, that's definitely the show for you. Uh, There's also the Animaniacast, if you're an Animaniacs fan, as well as the Deuce Cast for all you movie buffs out there, and the Techno Retro Dad if you're into a variety of old school stuff just like us and there's also us at our podcast so be sure to find us on itunes subscribe give us five stars and tell your neighbors we're also on stitcher and google
Google Play Music, and we are finally on Spotify. So if you have yeah. Spotify as well, <laughs> be sure to check that out. So you have out now with us on Spotify, you have absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. That's it for Artcast 138. It's in the books. Until next time, keep it retro and don't sacrifice any goats. No, absolutely like, not. <laughs> like the God of War 3 thing. I just looked that up. Hey, want to see us behead a goat or do you want to just buy the game? Yeah, just right. buy yeah. <laughs> Why not both in this case? <laughs> yeah. Really surprised Dante's Inferno didn't do it first, though. Yeah. yeah. I should mention real quick, actually, there was a uh, like like a promotion within like a convention uh, where someone was asking me though, to shave my head in order to get a free copy of Far Cry 3. I knew a lot of girls that did that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I was looking up. Wait, wait. Anne, is that you? No, that's not Anne. That's not Anne. That just happened. That just happened. Okay, don't shave your head either, kids. Um, Have a safe Black Friday if you can. Shop online. Avoid the stores. You know, between between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you've got enough bargains to find online. And it gives you time to listen to our podcast. Indeed, indeed. So we will see you guys next week. Catch you later. Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends, and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience. You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuestShow or via email at ActiveQuestPodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, on to the show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.